Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So our culture tends to glorify fighting. We tend to see um, every battle and as a fight that needs to take place. We get into this like outrage culture, right? We see it on 24-7 news. Pretty much every 24-7 news network is set up to put on TV fighting. That's what they do. Have you noticed that? They get the four, four split screens and they all have different opinions and let's get them fighting about something or the panelists of people and let's get them fighting or even the interviews they do. The person interviewing is intentionally asking questions that gets the person upset or puts, backs them into the corner so they have to fight their way out. But we see it on social media too, right? Comment threads. Just go to Twitter and scroll. I mean, that's, Twitter is the battleground. Everyone, Facebook's bad enough, but Twitter is the worst, right? It's just constant fighting, constant battling and fighting, and everyone feels like there's this war that has to be won, and if I don't fight every time there's an opportunity to fight, somehow I'm going to lose the war over whatever the issue is, any issue, really. And, and our culture trains us up in this way, this kind of outrage, fight over everything culture. And it has bled into the families, for sure. You see that the home and families, as you talk to people, there's always been conflict. Conflict is a part of human relationships. And there's always been fighting But it's how the fighting occurs and what the outcomes of the fights are and and how people fight is a big deal. And this outrage culture has taught people to fight in ways where you're just talking past people or you're name calling or you you feel like you have to pick fights over things just to get your way. And that has bled in to the home and to families and relationships. This this outrage culture of just always seeming to need to fight it's like if i'm not fighting i'm not doing something um has has bled in and there's just a lot of fighting that goes on in our homes um in our families and in the family of faith today that's what this series we've been in is about what up fam right it's second timothy we're looking at second timothy that doesn't address directly family this isn't the book the book or the letter in the bible that someone would say what teaches us about family and they would run to But it's funny because Paul's teaching family principles, principles about how to handle yourself among your immediate family and friends, but also in the family of faith. He's teaching these principles all along. And so we get this discussion about fighting and about how we need to handle ourselves when conflict arises. Should we fight over something is bad? What are the right things to be fighting over? And not all fighting is bad. Like I said just a minute ago, not all conflict is bad. That's not what we're saying. It's not all sinful. It's not sinful to be in conflict. or It's not sinful to fight. A lot of times the sin happens in the midst of whatever the conflict or fight is over. The disagreement is not sinful. It's how the disagreement is handled. Most of the time, that's true. And so it's how we're handling the fighting that's the real issue 
and I just realized that the music was still playing in the background the entire time. <laughs> so it was like low, and I just turned it off. Anyways, so in Paul's second Timoth- letter to Timothy that we've been reading, um, we see that he addresses these principles of faith and how faith works itself out among uh, family and among the family of faith. And so week one, last week, we talked about having genuine faith, having a genuine faith, a faith that is transparent and real, and it's on display wherever you are. Even, it, even the bad that's happening in your life, your faith is on display in the midst of that. And so he encourages Timothy, don't be afraid of suffering. Instead, allow suffering to display your faith to other people. He talks about that what the faith will end up displaying for other people is that you have this foundation. There's this strength to your life that exists because of the faith in Jesus Christ. There's a sacrificial love that exists because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And that there's this um, ability to connect with people in a deep way and live a disciplined life. It exists because of the faith, the genuineness of your faith. And it was a perfect message that fit right in with Mother's Day because we see this on display when mothers raise their children well and live well among a family. They do those things. They sacrifice out of love. They have this strength, this inner strength or fortitude that helps them go through the day even though there's difficulties all along the way. And there's this discipline part of their life that they live where they're able to Uh, live their life in such a way where they can raise children as well and so uh, this chapter one about genuine faith leads right into chapter two where he gets into this issue of fighting and conflict and so I'm going to read the end of chapter two verses 22 through 26 where Paul closes out the chapter with these words to Timothy it says run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, because he had just said the same thing a little bit earlier in the chapter. Again, I say, don't get into foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Let's pray. Father, we ask that during this time in your word that you would teach us what's worth fighting for what we should fight for, when we should fight, how we should fight, and how we can display your love through that, how we can display being more like Jesus through how we handle conflict and disagreement and the fights that we find ourselves in in life. Uh, We acknowledge that it's not sinful to fight or to be in conflict or to be in disagreement. That's a part of being human but we ask that you would allow us not to sin in how we do those things. Continue to build patience in us and kindness and love for whoever it is that we are in conflict with. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all things. Amen. (laughs) So Paul uses in this chapter, if you start the chapter out, he uses an analogy of a soldier. 
So, and he, and he calls Timothy to be a good soldier for the faith. And he uses a couple other analogies. Paul loves to just use lots of analogies. But this chapter, the main one, was about being a soldier. So clearly Paul doesn't have an issue with fighting. He wouldn't, he wouldn't use the analogy of being a soldier, of calling someone to be a soldier, if he had an issue with fighting, if he was a complete pacifist over uh, the issue of conflict and fighting. So the issue isn't always the fighting and the conflict. It's how it's done. So the first fight and the most important fight that Paul acknowledges in this chapter, I think we all would acknowledge, is the fight for people's salvations, the fight for the gospel in people's lives, that they would experience the gospel fully in their life and come to faith and be saved. That's the first and foremost fight, and that's what he talks about, that he's in jail because of it. Don't lose heart because I'm fighting the good fight. Basically, he says that in another letter, fight the good, uh, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race. So he tells Timothy, don't, don't forget, that's the fight. The fight is for people's salvation. So, you, so the fights, all of the little fights that may happen, what really you're focused on in the midst of all of those things is, is your own salvation and the salvation of others. Like being like Jesus, that's the fight. That I'm so concerned about myself and this other person becoming more like Jesus that I might actually be willing to fight for things so that we might become more like Jesus. So I might actually be willing to enter into conflict intentionally because I know it's going to take that for us to look like Jesus. That's what a soldier does, right? A soldier goes to war because they believe that the war is justified to accomplish the result that's needed, right? So maybe a, a, an, a, someone's trying to be, uh, someone's trying to go to war with you. You didn't start it, right? So that another country's trying to go to war with you and hurt your people. So it's the soldier's job to now defend the people. That's a good reason to go to war. Or they're hurting their own people. What if a king, and especially during this day, it was all kings, right? What if a king was hurting his own people? And you as a nation were watching this happen. And you had the ability, you knew you had the ability to go in and take that king out and rescue those people. Maybe you would feel, hey, this is justified. To save them, it's justified to go to war. That's the analogy Paul's using here that it may take going to war on behalf of someone else, going to battle for them to see them saved, to see them come out of whatever it is that has them entrapped. And that's how he ends the chapter, right? That, that he says the, the, the result of why you might fight could be that you rescue them from the de devil who has them enslaved and they don't even know it. So that's the, that's the purpose of the fight. We need to keep that in in mind as we talk about the two areas he talks about being willing to fight over that the purpose of the fight the whole reason you're fighting is for someone's salvation for their ability to look like jesus and for your own at the same time he immediately then talks about things um, these kind of foolish things we shouldn't fight over and he talks about them as these words like don't fight over words what he's getting or he uses foolish talk at one point don't don't fight over foolish talk what he's getting at is kind of those pointless arguments or that argumentative nature that we can some, sometimes have ourselves and that we know others have. We all know someone who argues just for the sake of arguing or talks just for the sake of being heard. Maybe we do that at times too, though, right, if we're honest. And so he's saying, stop that. Like, stop these pointless arguments where you're just picking fights for no reason. 
And we see this all the time. It's a, it's a timely word because we see this all the time, and especially in the church. If you look at the, the church, the overall church today, uh, we've divided and fought over all of these issues that they're kind of important, but they're really not important. When we get down to them, they're all secondary issues. They're secondary issues. They're not, they're not primary issues. They're not of importance. They're just side issues. But because I disagree with you on it, we're going to fight over it, and then we're going to split, and I'm going to go do my thing and take people with me, and you're going to go do your thing, take people with you, and that's why we have like 10,000 denominations or something nuts nowadays. And, and this is what has, you know, bred into now humanity, this kind of divisiveness. But it's not new. It's not new, right? We can read Genesis, and we know dividing, humans dividing is not new. Cain and Abel right away kill each, you know, Cain kills Abel right away, and right after the garden. So this whole divisiveness is not new. Paul's saying, okay, what's worth fighting for? Right? What's worth fighting for? Are you fighting the right battle over someone's salvation? What's not worth fighting for are these secondary word issues. And then he lists two specific things that we just read, two specific things that he's saying, fight for these things, Timothy. Fight for these things in your life and in the lives of others. Fight for these things. And these are the two things that he lists. The first one is purity. Fight for purity. Now, when we hear this word in the English, in our context, we think sexual purity. Now, that's a part of it. He's, he certainly means that as a part of it. He actually does not address that specifically. There are other letters where Paul addresses sexuality specifically. He doesn't here. He uses the word purity in, in a way that encompasses that, what you do with your body, but he uses it also just what you do with your motives is really what he's getting at. What's driving you? Do you have a pure heart? Because that's what he says there at the end of uh, verse 22, that you need companionship with those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So it's really about motive and intention, what Paul is getting here, that we need to fight over purity. We need, to, we need to be willing to fight that someone has the right motivations and is doing things for the right reasons. That they're not just uh, checking boxes, that they're not just putting on a performance so others might see them, but that they're really genuinely with a pure heart going after a relationship with God and going after a relationship with others. And that's why he lists the results of this being pursuing a righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. These are issues of unity and peace and love. How does that happen? When we have pure hearts. When we have hearts that aren't intentionally trying to hurt someone else, but we're going after what's best for them. My motivation is what's best for you. It's not to hurt you. So I might disagree with you. We might have a very serious disagreement over something, but how I'm going to handle that disagreement is to go after what's best for you. What's best for this person in this situation? Is it that I actually fight them over this or do I back off? Or how do I fight them over this that shows them I'm after what's best for them? Because it might be worth fighting over. We may determine, yes, this is worth fighting over. But how do I fight over it in a way where they know I'm, I'm fighting for you? It feels like I'm fighting against you. I know that. Like we're we're mixing words and we're disagreeing, but you need to know I'm fighting for you because I think that what you're actually doing isn't hurting you or what you're actually saying isn't right. And 
We know this to be true, that you have to fight over people's, we have to fight for their hearts. We have to fight over people's motivations and we have to fight over our own, our own purity. We have to fight for our own purity of heart and of motive. And this is in a culture all around us. This is completely opposite to our culture all around us, right? Our culture all around us just says, I mean, there's so many different things that is, are the complete opposite of this, right? Fake it till you make it is one I always heard. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. That is completely opposite of what the scripture says about faith. You can't fake faith until you make it. it it's impossible to do. You can, you can try, but then you end up with an entire generation of people that now struggle with depression and anxiety. Why? Because they've been taught to fake it for their whole life, and then they get to be adults, and they realize, like, I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> I've just been faking things so long now that I don't even know who I am. So there's this irony that our culture teaches us these things, right? The vulgarity and just the kind of the brashness of our culture, the pull back all modesty of our culture. And, I, and I don't, again, I don't mean just like we go straight to sexuality when we think about these things, and that's true. We need modesty in, in, in our sexuality, but I mean just modesty in general, that there's just no sense of modesty anymore, that I'm just going to be who I am and I'll force that on you even if I don't have pure motives about it, even, though, even if I'm not being genuine, that's what's going to happen. The second thing that he addresses that's worth fighting over is truth. Truth. Now, this is in the face of a culture that wants to either spread lies, things that are not. There's, there's constant barrage of lies that are being fed to us, and we know that the, it's from what the Scripture calls the father of lies. Satan is doing that intentionally, we start to believe things about ourselves that are not true. We start to believe things about others that aren't true. That's why we usually end up in a fight with someone, is we assume something about that person, so we're believing something that's not true about them, and so then we fight them as if they're our, our enemy, when they're really just another human trying to figure the world out. And so it's, it's funny how we buy into these lies. And then, and then subjectivity, this idea that truth is subjective, that what's important is my truth, so you live your truth, and I'll live my truth. The problem with that is that's impossible if our truths are completely opposite. It's, it's an impossibility. You cannot live in relationship with someone if you're both living completely opposite truths. It's absolutely impossible. There's, there is no way for a society to function that way. It's absolutely impossible because someone will end up at war with one another, right? This is... We know this to be true because our country had a civil war. It's not that we don't know this to be true, but it's like we pretend it isn't. For some reason, we pretend it's not true, that somehow you can live your truth and I can live my truth and we're going to all be hunky-dory. But the problem is, is certain issues are serious. And if your truth doesn't match up with my truth on a serious issue, we're not going to be able to get past that. We need to find out what the truth is so that we can get past it. So we, need, we see this happening right now with all of the laws being passed about abortion and the disagreement over abortion. This is happening right in front of our face. A complete disagreement over, well, you have a truth and I have a truth. Can't we all just get along? Well, no, we need to figure out what the truth is because this is a serious issue. If people are being, if, if, if a, a baby in a womb, a fetus, if a fetus in a womb is a baby, is a human, then it's murder. Uh, there, there's no way around it. If it's not human, 
then we can have a different discussion. But if medical science says this is a human, now we have a human rights issue at stake. Now we're dealing with an issue like three-fifths of a human, like slavery. Now we're dealing with an issue like the Nazis declaring Jews not human. Like now we're dealing with real genocide human rights issues if a fetus is a human. So we got to figure out where the truth is or we can't even have a discussion. And that's what's happening in our culture. If someone is saying, well, this is my truth and that's your truth, can't we just get along? The problem is, is your truth is saying something completely opposite from my truth. So we got to figure out what the truth is or we'll never be able to live together in peace. And, and that happens in our lives, right? That there are truths, Scripture says, that are just, they're true. They're, they, they are consistent with how God created the world. And here's, here's the crux for what Paul's saying to Timothy and for us. How do we handle a situation where we have come to the full knowledge of the truth, where we know on this topic, we know the truth. God has enlightened us to the truth. We may not have previously known it, but now we know it. And this person now that I'm interacting with, this family member, this person I love, this stranger that I'm going to love, even though I don't know them, right? Because I'm going after what's best for them. I'm not fighting them just for the sake of fighting them. I, I, I'm going to fight them because I want them to know the truth. What does Paul say? We gently give motive. We also fight for truth, Paul says. But we do it in a way where we're fighting fair. We're fighting the right battle. We're gently instructing. We're trying to show them, look, this is truth. It's right in front of your eyes. Can't you see it? We're doing it from a sense of desire to see them come to know the truth. Because we know Scripture says the truth will set them free from the lies. And that's what he says here. It'll, it'll set them free. They've been captive, held captive by Satan, and they don't even know it. And this truth will set them free, but we're not going to force it on. We're going to beat them over the head with it. We're not going to force them to adhere to it. We want them to know it, because then when they know it, they'll live it. And Paul says, perhaps, maybe, just maybe, God will change their hearts, and they'll come to know the truth. That's, it's funny how Paul says that, right? He doesn't put the onus on Timothy to force the truth on people. He puts the onus on Timothy to fight for the truth puts the onus on Timothy to fight for purity. He doesn't put the onus on Timothy to make someone else's motives pure. You can't do that. You can't force someone else to have pure motives. You also can't force someone else to believe the truth and to know the truth, but you can fight for those things. You can fight for pure motives and pure hearts. You can fight for people to know the truth and know, know the God of creation, but you have to do it in a sacrificial way. You have to do it like Jesus did. We can't be a Peter who cuts off people's ears. Right? Jesus healed the ear. We can't, we can't be that. So we may end up in fights. We may end up in fights, but we can't allow those fights, we can't allow those fights to get out of control, to define us, to cause us to actually lose an audience with someone because we offend them in a way we shouldn't have, or we name-called, or we, we did things that weren't for their good. We have to be in the fight for their good. I'm in this for their good, and even if it forces me to have to take a back seat, even if it forces me to have to be quiet and listen more, even if it forces me to have to acknowledge when I've made mistakes, I'm fighting for their good. And we do this. 
We do this, and we do this faithfully, and that's the calling that Christ has put on our life. I remember um, the first time I fought, physically fought someone else. It was my best friend. And we were in middle school, I think, but we might have been late elementary school. I was best friends with someone whose younger brother was my younger brother's age, so they were best friends. So the two, even though there were four boys of us, it was like me and my younger brother were kind of close, and the two older brothers were kind of close, so it was like my parents had two sets of two. So me and my younger brother would go play with him and his younger brother all day, every day. We lived in the same neighborhood. We played all day, every day. We, for the most part, always got along. But I can still picture the day, like I can picture the front yard right now in my house and the big tree in the front yard. I mean, I can picture it all, the scene, the entire scene. We were in my front yard, and it was the, the first time my best friend had ever picked on my younger brother. He would pick on his younger brother. I'd pick on my younger brother. It was the first time he picked on my little brother, and I think he pushed him down or something. It wasn't just picking. Like, he did something physically to them, and we fought. Like, I went and fought him. And he was my best friend, and, like, we were still best friends the next day. But in that moment, like, you don't mess with, I can mess with my little brother, but you don't mess with my little brother like that. And I fought him. I had never fought anyone in my entire life. Like, I had never gone after someone like that. It was like this instinct kicked in of, like, you just don't do that. That's not how this works. I'm going to fight you because I need you to know that that's not, that's not reality. Like, that doesn't happen. That's not the truth. It's funny because that's a little kid version of fighting someone. We shouldn't physically fight people like that over something like that. But we should fight for what's right. We should fight for the truth. We should fight for purity. We should fight to defend those who can't defend themselves, right? These, these are things. What battles is Jesus calling me to fight? What battles is calling, Jesus calling me to fight? So the challenge this morning... Don't be apathetic. That's the worst thing you can be. Don't be apathetic. Don't just think, I'm never going to win, fill in the blank, so I just won't fight at all. Whether it's in your own life, you're fighting your own sin. Right? Paul says, when you're fighting for purity, you better find people who will fight for it alongside of you. Companions that are calling on the name of the Lord with pure hearts too. That's, that's, that's our bands. That's what our bands are going to be. We're going to we're going to be banding together like the bands of brother idea, the soldiers that would band together and go to war. That's the idea. I'm fighting, and I have people fighting alongside of me. So don't just give up on whatever sin it is in your life or whatever sin that someone's doing to you. You don't just become apathetic. That, that's not what we're talking about. But you've got to fight, but we have to fight the right battles as well. We don't just go around fighting everyone, and we don't fight the way they fight. Scripture reminds us we don't use the weapons they use. We use weapons that are beyond the weapons they use. And that's what Paul gets at with the truth. Maybe God will change their hearts. See, we have a weapon, and we don't have to think about God this way, but God will go to war in someone's heart when that person doesn't want to go to war. <laughs> they don't want God to show up, and yet God shows up. That's most of our stories, if we're honest. We weren't going looking for God. We weren't looking to pick a fight with God. God came picking a fight with us. And saying, I love you, and I love you so much, I'm willing to go to war over it. And he did. It's the story of Jesus on the cross. He goes to war with Satan for our souls. So we have to be willing to fight for people's souls. What is Jesus calling you to fight for, and who is Jesus calling you to fight for in this season of life? What is he calling you to fight for, and who 
is he calling you to fight for? And then as a family of faith, how is he calling us to come alongside each other and fight together? Will we come together and fight these battles together over our own sin in our lives so that we might become more like Jesus and over the truth that we might believe the truth and we might get rid of these lies that we're believing about ourselves and about others. We have to fight for these things. So will we fight the right battles instead of just fighting all the time? I'm going to pray and then uh, the band is going to come up and we're going to sing a couple songs as we close. You, of course, we'll stand and sing and uh, you know how you can respond if you'd like to, but you can also just sit and pray if you'd like to. And, and just reflect upon what are the battles that Jesus is calling me to fight and who are the people in my life right now that I need to go to battle for, that I need to fight for them, fight for their salvation, fight for them to know Jesus, even though they've believed lies or have gone down a path that's destructive to themselves. So let's pray and we'll respond together. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. And we thank you that he fought for us and we ask that you would make us more like him and how we fight for others, for our family members, for our friends, and for the family of faith. That you would make us into a people who fight alongside one another. That we fight for purity, purity of hearts, purity of lives, and that we would fight for truth. That we would fight against the lies of this world that tell us one thing, but we know it isn't true. So we ask, give us the discernment to know what to fight for and who to fight for, weapons that you've given us, the spiritual weapon and the ability to fight fair and to fight with the weapons that you've given us, the spiritual weapons of prayer, of fasting, of your word, and even of worship. We thank you for your son Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.